This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and joining me this evening is Mr. Matt Caraccio. Matt, welcome back. Final 2020 positional preview show prior to the real kickoff weekend of the college football season is here. I mean, I don't know if week zero did it for everybody. I mean, I was I was definitely excited to watch some of my favorites there kind of compete the Brevin Jordans, the Jaron Williams and the Felipe Franks and all those gentlemen, especially like it was it was interesting to see everybody kind of kind of come together. Trayvon Grimes and all those guys. But I mean, this is the official week. I mean, this is when we finally get to see, you know, what has the summer, what has the spring, what has the off season really brought these players to. And of course, tonight, obviously, we're going to be talking about the wide receiver position again in part two of our 2020 positional preview shows. I- I'm just psyched, Paul, to begin the college football season to to finish off these positional previews and really and really, as we can hear the you know ding 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 in the distance of the draft coming. I- I'm I'm kind of psyched and I'm kind of looking forward to this year. Yeah, absolutely. If anybody missed part one of the wide receiver positional preview show, I went through, I think it was about 29 names, rattled them off alphabetical order, talking strengths, concerns, developmental and functional areas, draft projection grades, scheme fits, uh, NFL roles, all that stuff as a quick snapshot to get you familiar with this really deep class. Matt, you were unfortunately unable to join me for that episode, but but I wanted to do a second show to share some of your thoughts and just to talk about this class as a whole a little bit more because it is such a unique class. It is such a deep class. It could potentially, I do believe, rival that historic 2014 class that it's constantly talked about, the Sammy Watkins, Odell Beckham, Allen Robinson, Devontae Adams, Dante Moncrief, Mike Evans, and the list goes on and on and on of all the the great to elite wide receiver talents. You know, some didn't maybe live up to expectations, but so many did, so many surpassed expectations. Could this 2020 wide receiver class, could it rival that now that you have concluded your film studies on so many of these prospects? Yeah, I mean, you know, at first glance, I think a lot of us would have thought that that's kind of hyperbole to even consider that that would have been, you know, the case, that that would have been the actual uh, situation when it came to this class. But honestly, I mean, after kind of taking a look at all the different players, I I don't think that's hyperbole. I think that there's going to be an opportunity there for these players to contribute. And I'm going to I'm gonna be very honest with everybody out there. Um, you know, talking from a skill acquisition standpoint, a lot of these players, like most players, they're always acquiring skill. So please understand that the initial, the initial feel on these players might be wide receiver three or wide receiver four or wide receiver five. But the upside, the ceiling for a lot of these prospects are to be players that are starting. And I think that's an interesting point. Maybe they're not starters right now. Maybe there are traits or maybe there are characteristics that they have, attributes, skill sets that they possess that are maybe of a starter caliber or starter potential, but their game, their entirety of their game isn't completely rounded out. And I I think that's an important note because not everybody we're going to talk about is a full-fledged, you know, top three starter on an NFL team, but a lot of the guys have that as their ceiling. And I think that's what's unique about this class, Paul. 
Yeah, I mean, when I did episode one of the wire receiver position, people who listened to that heard me say a lot, complimentary depth. There's a whole bunch of guys that, yes. that fit into that, that mm-hmm. are probably going to be number four, number five wide receivers, may eventually work their way up to being a little bit more of a complimentary in three wide sets. Some offenses, that has now became the base formation. Then they're considered starters. So, you know, we have plenty of guys who are going to be in that complimentary depth. But we have a lot of guys in this class who I think could emerge to be starters in two wide receiver sets and then a whole bunch more that could potentially be starters if we're starting, if we're going to say that the third wide receiver position on a team goes three deep and that's considered a starter. So when, when you look at it, the big picture and the whole scope of it, there's a lot of guys that could be top three wide receivers on an NFL roster in the future. Maybe not immediately. It takes mm-hmm. time to emerge there, but you're going to see guys, I think, you know, fast forward to next April. I think we're going to be blown away at some of the guys that end up going on day three, go undrafted that some people might look at right now, you know, similar to how me and you were shocked about Kelvin Harmon falling to round six this past year. For whatever reason, the NFL wasn't as high on him. Hopefully he proves them wrong and makes us look smart on our, you know, analysis of him. So far, there's been some glowing reports uh, at times from Washington camp and, and parts of the preseason. But I think there's going to be a lot of people and a lot of prospects that we're surprised at how far they how far they fall. And it's just a credit to the depth of this class that it's really going to be pick what each NFL team is looking for to maybe round out their depth chart to fit into what they already have there. And I think there's basically going to be whatever a team is looking for this draft class might offer it. Well, and and I'll take this. First of all, first of all, I mean, I think where I'm going to go with this is, I think is as you know, the NFL has moved more towards embracing this idea of being a space game, right? I mean, for the longest time, that was taboo. For the longest time, the air raid was a no raid when it came to the actual NFL landscape. Yet many of their concepts really peppered so many of the playbooks that we came to know. A lot of great playbooks out there. You name the coach. The mesh concept is everywhere. If you don't know mesh, then, then, then you know what? You haven't been hit over the head with the two ton book that is the air raid because the mesh concept is everywhere and it's a beautiful concept and it's everywhere in the NFL. And I think as the NFL starts embracing that idea that the passing game is just as viable as the running game in terms of making quality moves on offense, I think their, their understanding of the positional ideas and concepts of what they want in their position players are changing dramatically as well. We saw that, you know, at full glow when it came to the quarterback position, we saw them moving more towards the mobility standpoint. We want more mobility because we want to be able to exploit space and utilize the whole field. And now they're starting to see value in these more of these quote unquote unquote, jitterbug type wide receivers that are able to take that kind of, that kind of, you know, um, that screen pass and turn a two yard short pass into a 20-yard gain. They're seeing the value in doing that and it's made the running back a little bit more of a you know, kind of a, 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 you know, a position that is, you know, that is a turnstile on most teams unless the player is elite. And I think with the wide receiver position, I think you're going to start seeing that as well. You know, it, there are going to be a lot of players who are going to get a lot of run. In other words, I don't think we should ever worry about now being drafted in the fourth, fifth, or sixth round. I think a lot of teams are looking for continuity. They're looking more to see what players work together the best. I know these sound like 
very basic ideas. But I think as we embrace this idea of a space game, as we embrace this idea of play speed on a, on a team level where continuity and synergy and the idea of knowing one another is of great importance when you're moving at tempo and moving at at high paces. I think teams are willing to explore the depths of their draft. So I think you're going to see players in the offensive ranks being pushed down, but I'm not so sure anymore that that means they can't rise the depth chart that quickly anymore. I mean, I think it's a long shot still, but I do think that their odds are improving. So I do think it's exciting to talk about these guys, no matter where they go in the draft. I think Kelvin Harmon's going to have a shot. Josh Doxson, they're already talking about he, him being on the, the potential outs right now in Washington. Who, what does that mean? It might mean, you know, Kelvin Harmon's on the upswing. Who knows? So, I mean, I think there's a lot of room now as, as teams embrace this idea of space, as they embrace this idea of continuity and synergy, as we move at a quicker tempo in the NFL, I think you're going to see a lot of opportunity for these wide receivers, no matter where they're drafted, Paul. So anyway, I, I don't want to, I don't want to belabor this point, but Paul, I was, I was thinking maybe we could do something a little bit different tonight. Game for something a little bit different with the wide receiver position. Sure. What do you think? What do you have in mind? So I, I thought like, because you already went through, you know, 29 names, I thought we could do kind of a fantasy kind of NFL mock draft of just the wide receiver position. And we'll just go back and forth talking about, you know, who we would take first or second. So in other words, I'll give you the first pick overall, who are you taking and why? And we can take it from the fantasy standpoint, or we can take it from the NFL landscape, but let's, let's just kind of mine through our top players and talk about them and why we're taking them, where we're taking them. Instead of me just sharing who my top five are or top 10 are, let me just, let's just go ahead and draft them. What do you think, Paul? If you had a if you had to go with the first wide receiver, you could draft this wide receiver class, and you're taking number one overall. Who are you going after? Yeah, I mean, anyone who listened to part one of the wide receiver preview is going to know my answer, and that's that's Jerry Judy. He's not only my number one wide receiver; he is my number one offensive prospect right now for the 2020 draft class. His route running capabilities, his ability to win at all three levels of the field. I think he is one of the rare wide receivers that should be in consideration to be a top five, top 10 pick. And, you know, we are on record on this show. We don't use that loosely. Me and you screamed from the hilltop that we didn't think Corey Davis and Mike Williams, as much as we liked Mike Williams and John Ross, we didn't think any of those guys were worthy of top 10 picks that year. And then three of them went this, you know, then you had the Calvin Ridley and the DJ Moore class. Same thing that year. We didn't think any of those guys deserved to go top 10. None of them did. And then even this past year's wide receiver class, you know, we kind of, you know, looked at it the same way. Some people were pushing up DK Metcalf saying he should be a top 10 pick. Me and you were very reserved and said, no, we think he's more of a late round one, round two type guy. But that's what makes Jerry Judy so special. I think he should legitimately be a top five, top 10 pick in the 2020 NFL draft. I'm not going to rattle off all his traits that I talked about on the first episode. I actually, even though it's my pick, would love to hear uh, one or two things from you that stand out about Jerry Judy, just to kind of add more context to what I already talked about him on the previous episode. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you've already illustrated and probably gone through all the traits that make him special. So I'm sure I'm not saying anything that wasn't already said. But I think if I had to highlight the two central things that I am most excited about 
it's his overall route running ability as a player. And, and what I mean by that is he can weave through, he can weave together multiple feints, including upper and lower body. He can vary at tempos and attack angles as he's approaching defenders. His awareness of his situation, his environment and how to attack it. And the understanding that that environment changes with every step is very much a part of his game. With every movement, he is setting up the next move. And he is adapting with every move to the actual positioning and abilities of the player in front of him. He is very sensitive as a route runner to the conditions of the entire game, both what the down and distance is, as well as what the defender and the defense is trying to do to his team. He's just in a very, very, very highly skilled wide receiver. And I think it's going to get better as he gets stronger, because I know that there are some comments about his overall physique and strength. I think his play strength is very good. I'm meaning during the game itself and the time moments and spaces and times where he needs to be strong. I think he is. Um, but I do see that there is probably room for glo- for growth in terms of his physical conditioning as he gets to that next level. But I, I, man, I think you're, I still think you have a diamond of a route runner. And I, I still believe in my mind that he has the ability to create space for himself at will. And I do believe that that's something that is very important at the next level, no matter what. Um, so I, 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 I mean, he's my number one wide receiver. Um, and I would argue he's at least in my top two or three offensive skill players. I would probably put DeAndre Swift into a somewhere in there as well. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense completely. So with Judy off the board here in our little wide receiver draft, who are you going with here? And is the person you're going with your number two currently rated wide receiver prospect? Yes, he is actually. And I'm actually really excited because I wasn't, I really wasn't expecting to have this player as my number two. Um, but it's going to be Mr. Jalen Rieger from TCU, the junior five foot 11, 195 pounds. The biggest thing about him that stood out to me is, I mean, I see that balance, that flexibility, that explosive strength that translates both into his acceleration at the line of scrimmage and into his buildup speed over the course of his entire route, but also in terms of his physical toughness when it comes to managing collisions. He's a guy who can fight fight force or fight contact with contact, fight pressure with pressure. But he also has that awareness and keen sense of ability to understand how to roll and manage um, contact within collisions as well. So he's great contact fidelity, great change of direction speed. His agility in the open field, I think, is something that's outstanding as well. His body control, his hands. Listen, his hands, there are moments where he had some concentration drops. There were moments where I felt like he dropped the ball. There were moments where that happened, but I also think he had a very tumultuous QB situation that he was dealing with last year. There wasn't consistency and continuity there in TCU, so I'm kind of want to see where that goes this year, but in terms of making tough catches under tough circumstances against tight coverage, he was able to do that, and what he has is something that I really harp on a lot, Paul. You know, he has... He has functional route deception. I think he's aware of the coverage in front of him, and I think he understands how to manipulate it, but he doesn't have the skillful manipulation, the variations in tempo where he can weave together multiple feints and multiple moves to handle a DB. He doesn't do that to the same degree and to the same tempo as a Jerry Judy, but he still shows an awareness of what's happening in front of him. So Jalen Rieger, to me, can do it in, in, in every aspect of the game. I haven't gotten a lot of exposures in terms of his ability to 
release against the press and his blocking does leave something to be desired. I, I didn't really get enough, ex, you know, exposures on those, but overall in terms of route running play strength after the catch, um, during the route stem, I mean, there's a lot of things to like about him. And I, I just see a lot of in, in him. I see like a, a lot of, um, it's hard to describe him. I, I I don't know how to describe him as a player. I'm not great with comps. You know, that's not my style. Well, but well, let, let yeah. me let me jump in there because when Dane Brugler was fortunate enough to join me last week, I mentioned this, and then in the first if Dane part, didn't say Jalen Rieger, he's a liar. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I said he reminds me of a cross somewhere between Brandon Cooks and Tyree Kill. That's the kind of skill mm-hmm. set that I see there. And you you talked about, you know, we haven't, and I even think I mentioned it, like a developing area, seeing him get off press. But I, I wonder if DBs even at the next level are going to be willing to really get up and press him. The physical corners, who maybe that's their bread and butter, I don't know if they're willing to get up that close and try to press him with regularity because of how explosive he is and his footwork to maybe just blow right by them. So I, I think it's something that I'm interested to see him do, but I'm also wondering just how often DBs are going to be willing to really get all up in there on him and not basically be leaning back a little bit because they might be concerned that he could just blow right by him and, well, and make a big play. Well, you know what? It depends how good your defensive ends are because if you can knock him off his stride and you can knock him out of the first read, let's say he's the rhythm read, meaning like the quarterback hits the top of his drop. If they can just prevent that QB from hitting the top of the drop and having the timing with him and they know their defensive ends can play, you know, it may be something that they're willing to gamble on but you're right it's definitely going to keep defensive coordinators up a little bit because they're going to want to know where he is on the field so paul i'm going to i'm going to trade it over to you who at the number three pick overall i'm sure jalen rieger was in there in the top guys for you so I'm, i must have taken a little bit of the fire away who are you going to go with at number three yeah, so as as these guys come off the board, I'll let I'll let the listeners know like where they would be in my wide receiver rankings. So obviously Judy was number one. Matt just took Jalen Rieger. He's number five on my wide receiver board. But really the the top six or so is almost, you know, after Judy, I think it's very interchangeable. I agree. Uh, so I'm going here with C.D. Lamb, the Oklahoma wide receiver. I talked a lot about him on on part one. I think he is a top fifty guy. I think he can go in round one. Would not be surprised at all if he goes somewhere in round one, if not early part of round two. I look at him as an outside starting wide receiver. I think he shows the ability to get vertical very easily. I love his leaping ability, his ability to win in contested situations, his ability to adjust, his body control and ball skills. I I talked about I want to see him expand his route tree, show more route versatility, be a little bit crisper and refiner in those routes. But to me, my biggest question on C.D. Lamb is almost related to the quarterback, Jalen Hurts. Does Lamb's production and outlook get hindered or hurt if Jalen Hurts can't show us what, you know, can't can't be a serviceable quarterback. I think that's the most fascinating thing because right now CeeDee Lamb's at a at a peak coming off the season with Kyler Murray. I think I, I'm I'm fascinated by his skill set. I think the NFL is going to be as well. I'm interested to see maybe maybe here where what you like about his game or maybe where he is in your rankings. But C D Lamb is where I'd be going. Well, I mean, I don't really have much to add in terms of the pros that you you kind of added to him, but I will add one. I think he's a devastatingly good blocker. I think he creates space and creates yards for players on the field. And you know and, the NFL teams are going to love that. Well, you you can't add up. Absolutely, because I still think it's an absolute 
fallacy that teams are okay with receivers that can't block. No way. You can't run all the outside off tackle, outside zone, stretch zones, all of these outside runs. You can't run them very well if you don't have wide receivers on the perimeter that are blocking for you. You can't maximize. And now with RPOs, now with RPOs where you have potentially wide receivers down blocking on inside cornerbacks to create that little bubble screen action that's going on, how could you not have a good blocker and run an RPO scheme? So, I mean, you you just can't. The answer is you just can't. Not at the NFL level, not at the highest of levels. He is a devastatingly good blocker devastatingly he creates yards for players on the team but I, I will go to the developmental areas of concern I do think releases versus press he wasn't really challenged at the line of scrimmage that often I didn't really get a chance to see him work through you know multiple feints of any kind um, and his route deception he doesn't have I mean if we're going to use some metaphors here to describe his route running skill he doesn't have as advanced of a vocabulary in terms of creating deceptive angles in terms of varying tempos and weaving together ideas for for defensive backs he doesn't really do that throughout the entirety of the route stem, especially when there's off coverage. You could do a little bit more. I didn't see that often, but again, like you said, I mean, this is all, you know, part and parcel to scheme and timing and the play call, and there are other elements at foot, but but over the course of all of his film, I didn't see somebody who really utilized the space afforded to them at the line of scrimmage to do much in terms of deceiving defensive coverage. But I love C.D. Lamb. And C.D. Lamb right now sits on my list currently as my wide receiver four. So he's my wide receiver four. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think all these guys are going to be the names that we're talking about tonight. I'd be surprised if most of them aren't in each other's top fives, top tens. You know, I, I just think that's kind of, you know, uh, how it's going to work out there. So, so keep this going. Who would be your next pick? So at the number four position, I'm going to go ahead and take the number three guy on my board. And I should probably write a sonnet for him after this because it's been so long. Uh, I've been talking about him, but I'm going to take the South Carolina senior six foot three, 220 pound Brian Edwards. I love Brian Edwards as a receiver. I don't think it's because of what he's going to do for you as a route runner. I think he's competent in those areas, but I think his balance, his flexibility, his strength, his ability on deep routes, goes, posts, he does a great job of tracking and adjusting to trajectories of the ball. He understands how to use his body to shield defensive backs. He can compensate for tight coverage. His catch radius is outstanding. He can extend beyond his frame and make catches with ease. His body control at the catch point and his awareness of the sideline all coupled together make him a very skillful receiver in terms of going up and going after the football in contested situations. And he's very functional. He's very sensitive and well-versed in doing things when it comes to um, his releases versus press. I think he has a good enough repertoire to handle press coverage. I think his releases versus off coverage are solid. I think he understands how to challenge and eat up the cushion of the defensive back. He understands how to challenge the leverage of the defensive back. But overall, he doesn't have a vast repertoire of moves in terms of deceiving, you know, defensive backs. He doesn't have the type of repertoire of moves like in terms of varying both tempo and angle of attack and upper and lower body feints that let's say Jerry Judy or Jalen Rieger can do. He doesn't have those same level of abilities in terms of creating space for himself, but he's very crisp in and out of his breaks. He's very decisive in what he's doing on the field of play. And I think he's very, very good at handling those 
uh, those opportunities in the air and those 50-50 balls, he's very good at doing that. I think he's a great deep ball receiver. I think he's a great player after the catch. I don't think he's terribly elusive. I think he does rely on his play strength. He does rely on his strength and collisions, his contact fidelity to win after the catch. But I think he is qu- the quintessential classic throwback split end receiver if I've ever seen one. And I think he's going to be a solid solid pro i think he's if you liked kelvin Harmon, i think he's kelvin Harmon 2.0 yeah listen i i can i could i could totally see that and it's really funny that you brought up kevin kelvin Harmon because i talked about brian edwards on part one of the wide receiver show and i talked about kelvin Harmon, and he did a lot of things that i thought reminded me of kelvin Harmon last year so i think that's really but he's a better athlete than kelvin Harmon. he is he is a better athlete when i when i brought him up uh to dane because he wasn't in dane's uh top 50 big board dane said though he still had a solid third round grade on him and he thought he was a guy that, uh, you know, still went back to school to, to refine a little bit of his route running in some other areas. But he thought he still had room to potentially grow as well. So so really, obviously, we've been talking about Brian Edwards for a while. No surprise there. Brian Edwards, for me, sits as my number seven wide receiver on my wide receiver board. So I, I'm going to keep this going. I'm going to I'm going to select my number three wide receiver. It just shows you how how deep of a class it is that we've been alternating picks and I've gotten my number one, Judy, my number two, CD lamb. And now my number three wide receiver for the 2020 class is LaVisca Chenault out of Colorado. I talked about him on, on part one. He is a little bit raw. He's a little bit unrefined, but we're talking about a ceiling, maybe as high as any wide receiver in this class. His combination of his athleticism, his movement skills, his ability, his play strength, his physicality, his toughness, his ability to win contested catches, his ability to be a playmaker after the catch. He's almost got that Cordell Patterson type after the catch running ability in space. So I love so much about his overall game. Uh I think he's just scratching the surface and I think there's areas that I want to see development in this year in terms of expanding his route tree, being a little bit more nuanced, a little bit more technical in terms of his route running, uh, but, and, and show the ability to beat press, but his hand usage, his athleticism, his ball skills at the catch point and what he can do after the catch has me very intrigued. I think he's a guy that can be an inside outside player, can get vertical, can have an impact at all three levels of the field. I'm really high on Chenault. Is there anything that, that I didn't mention either on the pro side or on the developmental side that you saw with Chenault that stuck out to you that I didn't just mention? No, I think you hit everything. I mean, my biggest concerns developmentally were route running, route deception, releases versus press coverage, because he relies mostly on explosive strength in order to do that. But I think that you're you're spot on. I mean, I have him right now as my wide receiver nine, um, which is probably a little lower than most people. But again, my perception is I look at the majority of the problems that they can solve now based on the the film that I see. And, you know, he he has solved a multitude of problems, yes, but a lot of those problems to me are a little dissimilar than the ones he'll have to solve 
at the next level from his position at wide receiver. I see a lot of DJ Moore to him. I feel and see a lot of DJ Moore in him. And I wasn't high on DJ Moore. And and people will say, well, you were wrong on DJ Moore. I, I, was I? I mean, I said he needed development too. I mean, so I mean, it, that's not wrong. They just happen to use him very well. And if he goes to a team that understands who he is as a player right now, um, then you have an opportunity to make a splash with him. I mean, so I, I, I guess I, I kind of put it that way is, all of this is 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 always going to be framed around where the player lands. So, I mean, if they land in a spot with a very creative OC or an OC that understands who the player is right now, well, then they can explode and they'll have plenty of time to develop. There's no doubt LaVisca Chenault's ceiling is outstandingly high amongst any of these players in this class. So I have zero, zero comment there, Paul. Um, he sits there right now as wide receiver nine, and that was your fifth overall pick. So I guess at number six, if I'm going to go ahead and rattle off, you know, my next big player, so to speak, um, you know what? I'm going to have to go to Minnesota, and I'm going to have to go to Minnesota. I'm going to have to go ahead and take a a fine young wide receiver by the name of Tyler Johnson. <laughs> Tyler Johnson to me is a very much, I think you said Stanley Morgan was a player that you liked or, or saw in him. And I, I feel very similar in terms of his route running in his overall game. You're talking about a technician. I think with Tyler Johnson, you're talking about a technician. I mean, his ability to understand things like where the seams are and coverage di- distributions against zone coverage, his hands, his catch radius, his motor motor coordination as he transitions from wide receiver to running back, his run after the catch in the open field. There's agility there that I see. These are some of his strengths. I mean, he's functional His in terms of his explosive strength. His route manipulation is functional as well. His releases versus off coverage I thought were very good. Um, his run after the catch ability in tight spaces was also functional and well adapted and skilled. You know, my only concerns are, you know, acceleration in terms of utilizing his acceleration, timing it, utilizing it against, you know, different types of defenders is going to be something I'm interested in seeing his change of direction speed, um, you know, in terms of getting in and out of those breaks quickly, you know, that was something that I wonder about at the next level, his releases versus press coverage, very limited. He wasn't really challenged much at the line of scrimmage and his contact fidelity. He was a guy who went down pretty quickly uh, after contact. He couldn't really push for those extra yardage. He created space more with his agility in the open field. So basically what I'm seeing is I'm, I'm saying is I see, you know what I see in him, Paul, I'll give you another one. You want me to give you a guy that I think he reminds me of? People are going to jump all over this and say, how dare you? But you know what? Don't be don't be surprised. Ready for this one? I'm interested to see if you, if you say the other guy, because you mentioned you mentioned Stanley Morgan. But I, I gave a range of outcomes that started with Stanley Morgan, but ended with someone significantly more prevalent. So, oh, OK, no, I, this isn't significantly more prevalent, but this is somebody who I I could see very similarly riding this wave. Richard Higgins. OK. I could see that. I, I said, I, I think best case scenario for Tyler Johnson, I wouldn't be stunned to see him be a Robert Woods-like player. Yes. I, think, yeah. I, think I, can, I think he can do a lot of the similar things that Robert Woods can do. And I even when I watched Stanley Morgan Jr. last year, I even said if he hit his ceiling, he could be a Robert Woods-like player with his versatility. So I'm right there, Tyler Johnson. I think he's a good he's, – he's one of the if, – if we're going to make a short list of top four, top five pure route runners in this class, he's on the list. 
Yes, yes, and because he has to be, because I'm interested is I'm interested to see what he is in terms of utilizing that explosive strength in terms of acceleration. He's not a guy that wants to win with a foot race. That's not how he sees the playing field. He sees it as I'm going to get your hips turned the wrong way, and that's how I'm going to win. And once I catch the football, I'm going to get you after the catch because that's where I want to play the game. My only question is. I would say, Tyler, what happens if a guy gets up in your face and it becomes a boxing match at the line of scrimmage? Are you prepared for that? And what what kind of counter moves do you have? What solutions do you have to those problems? Th- those are real questions I would have for him. But yep. I see a lot of Hollywood Higgins in him. I do see the Robert Woods comps. You're talking about technicians when you talk about these guys. Yeah, and listen, I think he's going to be a fascinating player because I mentioned this when Dane was on the pod that in the Devi community, he's looked at and regarded very highly. But then you're hearing some whispers, and, and we talk about Tony Pauline a lot on here because he's one of the great draft analysts out there and has a lot of connections. And he had a piece come out this you know this summer, and he had like Tyler Johnson is like a late round, sixth round pick. So there there does seem to be a wide range of 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 opinions on Tyler Johnson. Dane, when I brought him up with Dane, Dane said similar to Brian Edwards, he had him squarely as one of his uh, top seniors and he had him as a, as a third day pick. I mean, a third round pick right now. So it'd be interesting to kind of see, you know, where he falls on that spectrum. But uh, for me, he's number nine on my board on my wide receiver board. So I'm going to continue. I'm almost certain that whoever I pick here, I'm I'm choosing between two guys they're four and five. Uh, they're four and six on my wide receiver board. I'm pretty sure you're going to pick whoever I don't go with here. So I'm just going to stay true to my board. I'm going to I'm going to take T. Higgins out of Clemson. I feel and understand the AJ Green vibes. Is he going to be that successful at the next level? I'm not. I, I'm not. I'm not ready to say that. But the the body type, the size the frame, the ability to go up and catch the ball, the combination of ball skills, body control, and athleticism. I think A.J. Green might have been a little bit better in terms of like time speed and maybe some parts of his athleticism were a little bit better. But I think T. Higgins gets lost in the shuffle. I talked about this on the previous episode, so I won't go into it again. Because you think Clemson, you think Trevor Lawrence, rightfully so. You think Travis Etienne, because he's one of the top running backs in the country. You think T. Higgins' running mate at wide receiver, Justin Ross, who's not even draft eligible. So what ends up happening is I feel like T. Higgins gets lost in the shuffle a little bit, but I think he's a guy that warrants top 50 consideration, whether he goes in round one or the early to mid part of round two. I think T. Higgins is a guy who can be a starting caliber wide receiver at the end, at the NFL level. He's got to refine some route running, expand his route tree a little bit. I think those are legitimate things that he has to work on. But his ball control, body skills, and ability to win at the catch point to me and being a red zone weapon are, are top notch. So you're going to be shocked. A lot of things are going to be shocking in this episode to everybody out there. I love T. Higgins. I have him at number 10. Okay. Wow. That there you go. And 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 not because anything you said is wrong, because again, if you if you under if everybody who's been listening to the show for a while, again, you know where I'm coming from. I'm coming from the variety of problems that they can solve right now. And what is the lend what is the amount of solutions that they can bring to bear 
in terms of solving those problems? How many solutions do they have for every problem on the field? And Paul, you hit on it. There's nothing to add. All the accolades in terms of what he can do in the air at the catch point, what he can do in terms of his body control, his athleticism, it's there. But his but his overall skill and his overall ability as a route runner, it's not that, that diverse. He doesn't have a rich repertoire of route deception, route running skills. He just doesn't. Not yet, at least in terms of what I saw and what I was able to see. I didn't see a variety of things. And now, that doesn't mean that he's not competent in many areas. So, I mean, I don't want to make this sound like I don't think T. Higgins is good. I mean, having him at number 10 in this class still means he could end up being a Hall of Famer. I'm just throwing it out there. So, I mean, that's not what we're saying. But in terms of his releases versus press, right? He uses his length to win initial leverage. That's how he wins predominantly with a swim move. There were very limited exposures versus press, but he had to see him have one solution for that situation. In terms of blocking in the run game, you know, those are things that I didn't see from him, not at the level that I saw, for example, of CD Lamb and other players in this particular group. His route deception or route manipulation, there wasn't a lot of use of varying tempos and attack angles to deceive, you know, cornerbacks. He just did not do that within his route stems. He didn't use that opportunity afforded to him now when he gets to the next level could he self-organize could he spontaneously reshape and rethink and re uh, adapt to those situations at the nfl level and add those things absolutely and this year is a brand new year so we'll see so i have nothing to take away from him but the fact is i didn't see the same level of route deception and route running that i saw from other players that i do have ahead of him which is why i believe we're at the seventh overall pick i'm going to take eighth eighth overall pick I'm going to tell you, take you to a guy who I think is the T. Higgins we want to draft right now, although I don't know if his ceiling is as high. And I'm going to take Colin Johnson. So I'm going to take Colin Johnson because I think Colin Johnson is what we think we're getting from T. Higgins right now. And, he, and I don't think that's fair because I think Colin Johnson is a more refined route runner. I think Colin Johnson does do more in terms of winning throughout his route stem. So I think when you look at a player like Colin Johnson, he was a player that I was a little bit more sour on last year. But as my kind of lens as an evaluator has changed a little bit, I begin to kind of pay attention a little bit more to the types of solutions that he has to the various problems that he sees. His strengths are his deep routes, his body control, his hands at the catch point. These are things that he has, but he's functional in a lot of areas, meaning he has solutions to a variety of situations. He has his route deception, his transitions from wide receiver to running back, the ability to transition quickly is there. You know, he seems he is a player that understands how to manipulate receivers and understands what coverage is trying to do to him. And he does have ways, multiple ways of doing that, of handling that. Now, it's not as advanced in terms of weaving together, you know, multiple types of moves and feints and stems and different types of tempos, not like, a again, like a Jerry Judy or Jalen Rieger where they can weave together head fakes and route tempos and stutter steps and multiple ways to get a defender on their heels. He can't do all of that, but he has solutions. He has solutions. And what I do see from him is I do see a player that's going to work good in a vertical passing game. I think his his intellect is going to make him very suitable to an option route heavy passing scheme. And I think he's going to be good in the intermediate and deep areas of the field. So he's a player that I like. I think he is you know, what we think T Higgins is right now, but I think he's a little bit more advanced than T Higgins. So, I mean, that's kind of where I'm at right now. I don't think the ceiling is the same for him. I do think T Higgins has that higher ceiling, but I do see a lot of very similar traits in these two. I see one is kind of the, 
the the you know the future maybe and one as a player that can help you right now so it's going to depend on what nfl teams want yeah i mean listen colin johnson surprised people by going back to school i mean I- there's a lot of people who thought he was going to come out last year. Obviously, he's got rare size. I talked about his his length and his catch radius and his ability. Six two twenty. Yeah, I mean it, it's crazy length. For me, he was a little bit further down the board. He was at number twelve for me on my wide receiver board. But but I get it. I I think he's more polished than than some of the guys I have uh, ahead of him. But I there was just some other traits that stood out on a couple other guys that pushed him out of my top 10, but I am a fan of him. I could see him being a third round pick or an early date for pick based on the depth of his class. I think he's a guy who's going to intrigue NFL teams. I'm excited to kind of, you know, see how he does this year and see the growth of Sam Ellinger connected to Colin Johnson. I think it's going to be fun to watch. So, so let's keep this going. Uh, maybe I'll do a pick and then you do a pick and then we'll rattle off a uh, little, yeah, some guys. Out. Yeah. And then, uh, you could hit on some underclassmen guys we should be paying attention to as well. I'm going to take my number six rated uh, wide receiver in this class, and that is Henry Ruggs III out of Alabama. He is he's explosive, reported 4.2540 time, but he plays that fast on the field. He's a guy who I think is going to be that next wave vertical slot player whether you want to think ty hilton tyler lockett but i think i think rugs could even do things on the outside as well i don't think that's his ideal but i think in terms of versatility in terms of how nfl teams want to you know move guys around a lot but i think he's a guy who can be an impact all over the field you want to manufacture touches and do end arounds jet sweeps screen wide receiver screens i think he can make plays after the catch i I think he, I think he's a guy who can work the intermediate parts of the field, and then I definitely think he's a home run threat over the top. So to me, he he's a space player. I love these those space players. I think he's got elite level speed, burst, and acceleration. I'd like to see him add a little bit to his frame. Obviously, he's got to continue to expand his route running and refine it a little bit. Just not something he's asked to do. But but I think there's a lot to like about his game and. You know, there's, there's three Alabama receivers, I think, you know, from Judy to Ruggs to a guy, you know, Devonta Smith, who I don't even think gets enough attention that he should be getting as well. But but Ruggs is a guy who he sits at number six for me. And I said this on the previous show and you weren't on with me. So I'll say it again. I think Judy's going to be the first wide receiver taken, but it wouldn't stun me if an NFL team falls in love with Harry Henry Ruggs III, and he's the number two or number three wide receiver taken off the board. I think he can push the C.D. Lambs, the LaVisca Chenaults, the T. Higgins, the Jalen Ragers, the Brian Edwards, those guys. I think he could go ahead of a lot of these guys, and maybe we look at it now and say that's crazy in terms of his refinement, And but, but I wouldn't be surprised if an NFL team becomes enamored with his skill set. No, I completely agree. And he sits right now. Uh, right now, I'm just going to go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. He's my eighth guy. So he's my eighth guy on my top ten. I mean, we're basically naming each other's top ten for for whatever <laughs> it's worth. Um, but but he he sits as my number eight. And I will say this about Henry Ruggs. Again, if I'm going to be true to this kind of mission statement of looking for players that can solve a variety of problems on the field, that's one of the things that holds him back. Like you said, he's not used in a variety of 
of ways. He's used more as a space player where they're asking him to use his agility to create opportunities after the catch. We won't, we won't bombard you with the technical details of having to break off your route at certain levels. We're, we're not going to go crazy there. We're going to line you up next to guys like, you know, we're going to line you up next to guys like Jerry Judy and, and coverage will roll that way. And we're going to create some space for you. And, and we're going to let you use what you do well. And he does do it well. I think Matt Bowen uh, said it best. And I, I got to give him credit because I think it's probably, but <laughs> it was probably one of the spot on, um, one of the most spot on comps, if I've ever heard him, he said Henry Ruggs reminds him of Curtis Samuel. I I I agree with that. And and you know what? I'll even take it a step further and say LaVisca Chenault and Henry Ruggs, there's your DJ Mark Curtis Samuel combination, in my opinion. You know, I mean, those guys are as good as you can get in terms of what they can bring physically both at the catch point and after the catch that you're like, well, I, I think I can pretty much teach them to run great routes. And you know what? It's worked out so far. I mean, those guys have panned out okay since they've been in the NFL. Yeah, Curtis Samuel, the injury, and now he's starting to come back. People are saying he's uncoverable right now. I, it could happen. It could happen. I'm, I'm just taking, you know, I'm just trying to stay true to, to kind of my framework this year, but I love Henry Ruggs and it goes to show you how far we've come since our mock draft. Um, so moving right along to number 10, my number 10 guy, my number 10 guy is probably somebody Paul is going to have right there. And I, and I don't think he's going to be shocked when I tell him Tylen Wallace, Tylen Wallace is my number 10 guy. He's my I, number eight. He's your number eight. Okay. So, he's my number 10 pick, but he's actually my number. What overall, I'm sorry if everybody's trying to keep track of numbers here. Um, he would be, he's my number seven overall, uh, overall wide receiver. So I'm right there with you. I like Tylen Wallace a lot. I think he brings a good balance of a lot of the other players that we talked about. I think he brings a little Jalen Rieger to his game. Um, but I also think he brings a little bit of Jerry Judy to his game. Um, I think there's a toughness and there's a, a tenacity, but there's also a technical side to what he's trying to accomplish on the field. He's a player that I, I really do like um, in terms of his overall skill set, his his hands, his body control, his catch radius, his explosive strength, his agility, his releases versus off coverage, his route deception, his contact fidelity. The only thing I didn't really get a, a great feel for was his change of direction speed at all levels. I saw it sometimes on high-speed change of direction routes, but on in-breaking routes and out-breaking routes, I didn't really get a chance to see um, you know, how he really broke those off very well. I couldn't get a good feel for that. Um, in terms of handling press coverage, um, I, you know, I you got you, you saw very little of it, not enough that I feel great about it. Um, but Tylen Wallace to me is more than just a consolation prize. I think he's going to be a player that could easily find himself in a slot role in a starting three wide receiver set at some point in his career, sooner rather than later. And I think he's a really dynamic playmaker. Um, I think what makes him so interesting is he is so adept at understanding how to how to how to adapt to the trajectory of the ball at the catch point. There was a scene out of a Kansas game that I was watching with him where there were literally two defenders bearing down on him. He had slipped coming out of a double move and he still was able to adapt in that moment. And again, I say adapt because he didn't know the double move he was going to slip on, but he was still able to kind of recollect himself, rip off the double move. And he ran a go route down the sideline 
And there are two defenders bearing down on him, but he understood how to use his arms to create and kind of frame the passing window and also shape the tempo of the opposing defenders so he could get up and over them and catch the football. He's only 5'10", people. He's not a big dude. And I'm going to tell you, he might measure in less than, uh, he's only six foot, but I think he's less than that. I think he's 5'11". I think he's under six feet. He doesn't, he's not a big guy. But he understands how to use every single aspect of his body's length to create space at the catch point. Outstanding, outstanding, outstanding. So, Paul, that kind of wraps it up when it comes to our top 10. Paul, give me three guys that are that are on the tip of your tongue. If you're letting me kind of lead you down this road of a kind of a make-do episode, <laughs> give me three guys that are outside of that top 10 that you think could push this year or could surprise this year. Yeah, so... Believe it or not, when we rattled off these guys, we basically rattled off nine of my top 10 players at the position. The only one, and he's not going to be one of my three here I go into, the only one that would round out my top 10 is Donovan Peoples-Jones out of Michigan. So he kind of rounded out my top 10, the rest of the guys we talked about here tonight. But if if I'm going to pick three other players, and I'm going to say three other guys that right now I'll call them my guys or guys that surprise me a little bit, I'm not going to just say my number 11, 12, 13, you know, but, but I will say some guys who, who surprised me on film, who I think there's a chance for them to emerge over the next, over the, this season to be more, to be more thought of at a higher level than maybe where they are being considered right now. The first one is Tamari and Terry out of Florida State. I think if Florida State wasn't in the drag right now of being such a, it's low point basically of its program, I think Tamari and Terry would begin talked about as top two round potential. I think, I don't know if he's going to come out as a red shirt sophomore, but really intrigued by him, his ball control, body skills, big play ability to get vertically down the field, being outside X wide receiver. He's at the top of the list. He's actually number 11 for me, but I think he could emerge and even be in the, in top eights if he really has the year that I expect him to. And he decides to declare early. Next up, my other another player, KJ Hill out of Ohio State. I think he is going to have a rise similar to Paris Campbell, similar to Terry McLaurin. I think he had a sneaky 70 receptions last year, and people did not really realize it. And I think he's going to test out really well athletically. And I think he's a guy that NFL teams are going to be intrigued by a lot more than maybe what the draft Twitter community, the Debbie community thinks of KJ Hill. And then last but not least, I want to talk about Jeremiah Holloman for, for two reasons. One, I'm really intrigued by his overall skill set. And two, we've been digging in and watching so many film prospects and, and that, that things sometimes slip through the radar and slip through the cracks on the previous episode in part one. I did not know that he had committed to transfer to Florida international university. So he is going to be, he, he, he was in the transfer portal last I knew, and I missed it when he uh, ended up announcing and deciding that he was going to go, uh, to play at Florida International University. I think this is a guy that if he stayed at Georgia, we could have been talking about a top three, top 100 pick, a top three round type talent. So it'll be interesting to kind of see what happens to him now that he has transferred to FIU. He's no longer part of the Bulldogs and the Georgia program, but he's a guy who his film alone really intriguing i think he checked off a lot of boxes and i'm gonna throw in one last wild card Kalijah lipscomb he, 
he is another Stanley Morgan type player out of Vanderbilt. Really good route runner, play strength, physical, tough. I think Lipscomb is a guy who the more I watch him, the more I, I came away intrigued by his route running and his overall game. Well, I mean, I and I love all those, and especially Jeremiah Holloman. I, he's a guy that I think is is absolutely uh, has the potential to to get himself into this discussion. And I'm going to kind of go to to three other names that are interesting to me. The first one is Shimon Osborne uh, from Texas A and M, the junior, six foot two, two hundred twenty pounds. I mean, he was riddled with injuries last year, in which he really had a ton of foot injuries. You can see it on film. He looks slower, much more um, embattled in terms of even just moving uh, as compared to his 2017 his freshman tape uh, he's a player that I think oozes wide receiver one type of potential he just he just oozes it and I mean in terms of it, like you look at him in 2017 his just his explosiveness his change of direction speed his ability to be deceptive within his routes his hands absolutely everything about him was just incredible but I mean last year you know the injuries did hurt him and it's hard not to ignore those and for that reason he is sitting lower on my depth charts right now uh, just because I mean I can't ignore where he was last year I try to take that is to where we are right now in terms of his valuation and 31 receptions for 375 yards production aside that just gives you an idea of how embattled he was he did better his freshman year and he's just a guy that has so much potential six foot two like i said 220 and he moves so sprightly for that size and he is incredibly agile and i want to see him back at full form i think he could be a force a force in the sec another player that comes to mind that i i'm really excited about that i think it's again, it's a player that I think is going to, again, it's because of the circumstances we haven't seen him come to light, but I, I'm going to continue to kind of pound the table a little bit for pay attention to Des Fitzpatrick. I think the Louisville, you know, redshirt junior, six foot two, 202 pounds. I think he's just a technician and I think he's going to end up being the epitome of what we're looking for in a big slot receiver. And I think that that's something that, you know, yes, it may not get him, you know, drafted in the, you know, the first three rounds, but I think he's a player that, that really NFL teams could be very happy to have because of his overall ability to recognize and understand coverage and then manipulate throughout his route stems. And I think that that's something where he's a very impressive player in that in that type of offense another player that kind of came up to me that I'm I'm you know kind of keeping my eye on is another player that I liked last year and that's the and that's current Oregon former Penn State redshirt senior six foot four 231 pound Juwan Johnson Juwan Johnson is extremely talented football player I I just for the for whatever it is and we're kind of seeing this now with players that I'll talk about later when we come to the the underclassmen side of this but Juwan Johnson just really just didn't get an opportunity to really kind of make it happen on a consistent basis at Penn State and now here we are with a great quarterback in Justin Herbert who's ready to kind of challenge you know the depths and lengths of the field and with his arm I'm excited to see what Juwan Johnson does I mean these are guys that I'm currently built, you know, kind of burning still a candle for because I have that much respect for their games. And Paul, if you'll kind of indulge me for one more second, one more guy that I think even grew on my mind in terms of where he was to where he is right now is a player that I, I was really surprised at. And that's Denzel Mims, the senior from Baylor, six foot three, two hundred and eight pounds. He's another one that kind of lives in that world of Colin Johnson and T. Higgins. They're very similar styles of players. And I think the biggest thing that I like about Denzel Mims is he brings that route deception and his play strength 
and his change of direction speed on his high speed change of direction routes. He brings that blocking, you know, his overall open field ability after the catch. That's not his special, his specialty. He tries to win with strength, but in terms of his ability to catch the football outside of his frame, you know, in terms of his ability to make contested catches, in terms of his ability to go over the middle on intermediary, uh, intermediate routes and intermediate areas of the field. He's a player that I just really kind of find myself more and more saying, wow, what a solid wide receiver. And I think he brings a tool set and a toolbox that's very interesting. And I'm really excited to see what he does this upcoming season. And that pretty much rounds out the guys that would be kind of next on my list. But there's so many, Paul. The depth is insane. I mean, we didn't even talk about Donovan Peoples-Jones. I didn't even mention KJ Hill. I didn't even mention players like Michael Pittman, who I really like. I didn't even mention a guy like Marquez Callaway, who could find himself on an NFL roster. I mean, there's just so many guys. You know, uh, Nico Collins. You know, I mean, we haven't even mentioned those guys. And those are guys that I think could easily find themselves in a camp battle for a wide receiver position to make a 53-man roster. It's very possible, Paul. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, other guys, Chase Claypool, can he have yes. an emergence like Miles Boykin did in this pre-draft process? What about the small school, Antonio Gandy-Golden out of Liberty? Yep. You've got guys like that. Can Tyree Cleveland ever put it together and live up to all the upside and potential that he had coming into college and has shown glimpses of his, his big playability at the collegiate level? Can he put it together? J.D. Uh, Spielman at Nebraska, who I said remember Reminds me of a more athletic or faster version of Greg Dorch or Jamison Crowder. Can he fill a slot role for a team at the next Tyler Vaughn's. Tyler Vaughn, Tariq Black, Devonta Smith I mentioned before. Yep. The list just keeps going on and on and on. It's fascinating. So, and it's not, and it's, and just Paul, and not to cut you off, but it's the ceilings of these guys that's impressive. You know what I mean? And we don't talk a lot about ceilings here because we believe in development. We believe you can't have a ceiling unless there's something that indicates that, that ceiling is possible. And all of these guys have a lot of different areas in terms of the solutions on the field that they have where you can say, yes, I can see him developing that explosive route running that you would need to compete at the next level. I see glimpses of that in terms of the way he is after the catcher in the open field or as a punt returner i can see glimpses of that type of mode uh, that type of movement skill that he would need to develop it that's what's so intriguing here yeah absolutely so this is guys this is just the draft eligible guys we'll see how many of them come out and declare but before we we'll wrap it up man i know in, like we did in the other positional previews your parting shot is some underclassmen, incoming freshmen, or uh, sophomores that aren't draft eligible that we should have on our radar, who should we be paying attention to at the wide receiver position? I think this this year, if we go back to the 2018 class and we start looking at that freshman class coming in, this is the year of Justin Shorter and Terrace Marshall Jr. These guys were the guys that came in as the creme de la creme of their respective classes. Justin Shorter, will Penn State given the opportunity? Has he evolved in terms of his overall ability? They were questions about his ability to understand the playbook in terms of his route running and development. Listen, this guy was a five-star prospect stud, a Julio Jones quote-unquote clone. Let's see what he can do this upcoming year. Terrace Marshall Jr., a guy who was marred by injuries his freshman year, but yet still made an impact, but the impact wasn't as resounding as people would have expected again from a five-star player that, who to me, if we did have somebody that could remind me of an A.J. Green caliber player, it was Terrace Marshall Jr. So are we going to see that from Terrace Marshall Jr.? I'm on Ross St. Brown, USC guy who had a great, great year his freshman year. He was my number two, you know, overall wide receiver. 
um, in the 2018 freshman class. Of course, Justin Ross, we know about him, but Kevin Austin out of Notre Dame, keep your eyes on him. There's a lot of words about whether or not he's going to play at Notre Dame. Is he not playing at Notre Dame? Um, is there issues off the field? I don't know, but when he's on the field, man, he's one of the best receivers out of that class. I loved his potential. Brennan Eagles is another player to keep your eye on. He's a player who could catapult himself up the Texas kind of depth chart and could make himself well-known. Another player is Jacob Copeland, obviously out of Florida, who we had an opportunity to see a little bit of. Chase Coda is another player out of UCLA who we should be interested in watching a little bit more closely. And of course, Jalen Waddell out of Alabama, another player who could make hay when it comes to being in the open field. So those are some of your 2018 incoming freshmen. Now, what about the 2019 incoming freshmen? Well, I think they're already starting to make hay. First, we're going to talk a little bit about Garrett Wilson out of Ohio State University. There's words that he may start. Um, there's words that he may not start now. But either way, Garrett Wilson is an absolute stud. He's an absolute overall um, route technician, um, great hands Great after the catch. I mean, when you look at the freshman notebook from last year, I had Garrett Wilson as my number five interim routes uh, in terms of running intermediate routes. He was my number five wide receiver in terms of uh, his overall after the catch ability. He was my number four wide receiver. He's just a player that I think can win in a lot of different ways. Another guy is Joseph Naga, uh, Nada, who's in Clemson, and he's a player I mean, Clemson just keeps getting rich. The rich keep getting richer. And there's words that he may start. And I thought he could start. He's that good. And I knew it was crazy to suggest that a Clemson freshman could start at wide receiver. But he's a guy who could really do that. In terms of deep routes, I had him third in the class. In terms of intermediate routes, I had him third in the class. In terms of short routes, meaning in the flat and short areas, I had him as fourth or fifth in the class. And after the catch, he was a guy that definitely made some hay. Another guy to pay attention to is Theo Weiss out of Oklahoma. He's a guy who can do a lot of different things for a team. Dominic Blaylock. I love Dominic Blaylock. You want to talk about a player, Paul, that reminds you again of that, um, of that kind of Tyler Johnson, Richard Higgins type of player. That's where I think Dominic Blaylock could be. And I, I really like his game. I think he's a player that can win at many different levels. Uh, he went after the catch. He's a very intriguing player. He's somebody to keep your eyes on. And I'll give you guys kind of another player to keep in your back pocket of this current incoming freshman class. Um, I'll give you actually two more. Trajan Bridges, who's going to start at Oklahoma. He's going to start. He's a tremendous slot receiver. I hope this kid starts, and it's not because he's incredibly quick. It's because he's incredibly intelligent. He can win after the catch. He can win at the catch point. Trajan Bridges is currently slated as a starter, as a freshman. Keep your eye on him. He's an incredible technician at the position. Wandale Robinson out of Nebraska is another player to keep your eye on. There's words that he may end up getting more work now than ever anticipated because Maurice Washington may or may not be with the team this season or may or may not be with the team at the beginning of the season. And I'll give you one last kind of in your back pocket player to keep your eye on, and that's Cornelius Johnson from Michigan. Cornelius Johnson is a player that is fifth in terms of deep routes, in terms of deep route running on my list, and he's a player that I think could be that field stretcher that Michigan's looking for to give that give maybe Shea Patterson a little bit of somebody to throw deep to. So he's a guy to definitely keep on your radar as we move forward. And of course, Jaden Hazelwood, the number one player at the wide receiver position out of the 2019 incoming freshman class. How It's very hard not to want to keep your eyes on the number one player at the position um, by many, many ranking uh, 
you know, satellites or stations or lists, so to speak. So Jaden Hazelwood is a, is a absolutely stud player and definitely worth keeping your eyes on. So Paul, there are some of the players to keep your eyes on that are underclassmen. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you just, you hear the excitement in Matt's voice because there's just so many top underclassmen that we expect to emerge this year. Uh, I know I've uh, partake in a lot of uh, Devi mock drafts, you know, probably going back to like since June. And I feel like Shorter and Terrence Marshall are two guys that I consistently got because of how high Matt was on them last year, talking about these guys, watching some highlights on them and excited to see if they now take the next step, uh, you know, now as they are more comfortable, you know, in college, sophomore years to kind of see those two guys emerge. And that's just on top of all the, the ridiculously talented draft eligible guys as well. So guys, if you're enjoying all of these positional preview shows, please make sure you get back and listen to them all. I know it's a really busy time of the year right now with, you know, uh, getting ready for, fantasy football drafts, being on vacation, you know, stuff like that. But these episodes, two quarterback episodes, two running back episodes, two wide receiver episodes, a tight end episode, and then a bonus 2020 preview show with Dame Brugler. Those eight shows, if you haven't had your pulse on the 2020 draft prospects and you go back and listen to those eight shows, you will feel like you are ready from the offensive skill perspective for the 2020 draft, you will know close to 80 to 100 names probably have been talked about on these shows to get you ready well in advance to start already making you think about things in your Debbie leagues and in dynasty trades to start getting accumulating more picks for 2020 because it, it does have the potential to be a great draft class. If you're also enjoying this stuff, please consider purchasing the new 2020 premium notebooks they will be released within the next couple days either the back end of this week or early uh next week and again for 9.99 you get access to four notebooks you get immediately the 2020 scouting notebook which has all our film notes everything we talk about on these positional preview shows scheme fits roles draft projection we've added fantasy spin this year strengths concerns developmental and functional areas you get our rankings notebook which has all our different rankings draft eligible rankings, Debbie rankings, freshman rankings, dynasty rookie rankings. We create tiers in the pre-draft months. We do dynasty rankings right after the 2020 NFL draft. You get all that in the rankings notebook. And then in late March or sometime in April of 2020, you get the freshman notebook. And then in April of 2020, you also get the NFL draft projections notebook. It is the best way to support the show. We've already had people asking when they're going to go live because they want to get their copy of it. And people are still buying the 2019. I had someone, uh, reach out to me and purchase the 2019 one this week. And I had to make sure that they didn't think that it had turned over to be the new notebooks. And they said, no, it was legitimately, they were looking to buy the 2019. Uh, they just got a late start, but they wanted to go back and read all this stuff because they really enjoyed it. So if you have any questions, please reach out to me or Matt or the SS Twitter handle as well. And we'll gladly respond uh, and answer any questions. Matt, any final parting shots? No, I think you kind of covered everything. Here's what I would say to everybody if they're considering it. 
all the players that we talk about, all the rankings that we talk about, all the players that we kind of advocate for, the freshmen that I bring up, these are players that Paul and I draft. These are the players that Paul and I kind of hang our hats on in our own leagues. So, I mean, if you ever wonder, are we taking our own advice or are we just putting out rankings to put out rankings in order to support the podcast? It's actually, it's quite the contrary. We're putting out what we do. This is exactly how we see the class. This is exactly how we're drafting them. I own Jerry Judy from his freshman year. I own Tua Tangavailoa from his freshman year. I own Justin Shorter. I own Terrace Marshall. Like, you know, I, I, everybody that I keep putting out there, these are the, these types of ideas, these rankings, these notebooks, these are where the shark moves in your dynasty leagues are made. They're made now. And if you're in Devi leagues, you know they're made now because this is where you're trying to get draft capital to build your team, right? T. Higgins, Justin Ross, they're all owned in your league. You've got to now look to the next class. You've got to look to the 2020 class of freshmen. You've got to look to the 2019 freshman class and say, who might have slipped through the, you know, the cracks, so to speak? You know, is there a player that could emerge? Could, you know, could, uh, you know, uh, Trajan Bridges be the guy that I end up kind of letting slip through that now he's available next year and he ends up having 85 catches this year for a thousand yards. Like, could that be him? You know, do I let that guy get through? I mean, these are just a way to keep on top of these things. And there's a lot of great content out there. All I can promise you is, is that these are our heartfelt opinions on these players. And, and this is who we draft in our own, own league. So if we, if we're wrong, we're all going down. So Paul, that's, that's kind of the only thing I could add. Yeah, absolutely. And that is something that we definitely harp on and, and talk about regularly that we are given advice that we do in our leagues. And, and sometimes when I'm in a draft and I do something different than my rankings, literally the first thing I do right after it is I go update and edit my rankings to match what I just did in a draft setting. So if I have one guy as my sixth wide receiver and someone else is my fifth but then in the draft i take the sixth guy well i go move it and, and flip-flop it obviously every league is a little unique based on maybe what you have or something that could impact things but in a vacuum if i pick that guy because you know all things being equal and i picked him anyway i will go and update my rankings to reflect that and i think sometimes partaking in drafts does make you feel like you should change your rankings and i i know i do that regularly and i have been updating my dynasty rookie rankings throughout the month of august because i've been partaking in drafts and it makes me rethink and consider what my ranking should look like based on how i'm drafting yeah no i i i 100 agree and to everybody out there paul um I got to say thank you so much to everybody out there for for spending this time. As Paul said, please download and subscribe. Hit that like button and make sure that you are tuning in each and every week. We are just absolutely stoked for the upcoming season. So on behalf of myself, Paul, as well as Dave Nakano, our sound and tech engineer, thank you so much for spending your precious time with us as we went through this final episode in the 2020 positional preview shows. I cannot wait for the first kickoff of college football, even though week zero did happen and it was an excellent game. I am still excited to see everything start to rock and roll this upcoming week. So again, on behalf of myself and the rest of the team here at the Saturday to Sunday football podcast, enjoy the first week of college football and we will see you next time as we take you from Saturday to Sunday. <laughs>